0: I wasn't sure I was welcome. You're welcome, but hey, we're glad that you're here today, and uh, we're uh, in the middle of a uh, financial series, and uh, whenever that happens, typically what you find is that attendance kind of dwindles by the end, but uh, I'm grateful that you're all here and you stuck it out. And uh, if you can, though, um, if you're interested in kind of working on your finances, Just put an FC up there in that card. We'll get that for you. And uh, this brochure right here tells you everything that's going on there. We want to help you uh, get better at doing that. Well, every single person that I know uh, loves uh, a nursery rhyme or two. And uh, there's a a story about two people called Jack and Jill. And uh, I want to see if you remember that nursery rhyme, that poem. It goes like this, uh, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Uh, Jack fell down and broke his what? Crown. And Jill came tumbling after. Okay. Now, uh, we all know that nursery rhyme, and it's great that we learned it as kids, and I really have no idea what it teaches us, but um, it's good anyways. But the reality is Jack and Jill don't stay kids, do they? They eventually become an adult. And then what happens to their life then? And when it comes to their finances, uh, sometimes the poem changes and it looks more like this. It'll come up on the side screens. Jack and Jill went up a hill and got married to each other. Jack got a job but spent all he had, and Jill is happy no longer. I created that this week, you know. You'll not realize how long that took either, so. But over the past two weeks, what we've been talking about is uh, our finances, and, and we looked at stories of two different people of how they used their money wisely. In week one, we looked at this lady uh, Osceola McCarty. And uh, she was a washerwoman from down south who never made more than minimum wage. She had a sixth grade education, but by the end of her life, she gave $150,000 to the University of Southern Mississippi for kids um, who needed scholarship help. And she built her money wisely, and then she distributed it wisely. Last week, we looked at a person on the total opposite spectrum of the financial world, and that is Warren Buffett, the sage of Omaha. He's the third wealthiest person in the world, and recently, he just gave the single largest charitable gift ever given in the history of the world, and we learned quite a bit about his life and uh, ways that he lived a very, or is living a very frugal life. But I want you to know that I've been saving the last kind of case study for this week. The best one is the last one. And today, what I want us to look at is the story of Jack and Jill Jarhead. Jack and Jill Jarhead. So if you would, in your program, uh, there is a teaching outline. And if you guys can pull that out, um, that will help you as we go through this story because you can read along. Um, But if you can uh, pull that out, and uh, we'll go through this. Now, just like the last couple of weeks, what I'll do is we'll read this story, and then I'm going to invite you to underline some key phrases. So there's a pen uh, that's in front of your seat uh, that you can pull out, or if you brought your own, that's fine too, and uh, you can do that. And if you underline all these things, heaven will open up and descend upon you uh, and bless your life. Maybe not, but if you could do that, that would help. So let's jump right in, and let's get started with this story. Story of Jack and Jill Jarhead. Jack and Jill met in Muncie through a mutual friend. Now, some of you right now are wondering, is this a true story? And you're probably looking around like, who is it? And you're wondering who that is. Well, I'm not going to tell you who it is or what it might be like. They're anonymous kind of people, okay? Um So let's wait and see. But Jack and Jill met in Muncie through a mutual friend. They immediately hit it off and they fell in love. They dated off and on and eventually moved in together. They were living paycheck to paycheck. In the midst of this, they purchased two new vehicles because we just had to have them. The loan payment for those two cars came up to be about $450 per month which was 25% of their net income. They borrowed the entire amount the bank would give to them. Now, the phrase that I want you to underline in there uh, is uh, the phrase in quotes there, we just had to have them. We just had to have those two new vehicles to us. Now, here's a couple who are so deeply connected to each other that they can't stand being apart from one another. I mean, they have not just fallen in love, they have fallen in love. Like, woo, Like the tingle type of love. Some of you haven't tingled in a while. You need to tingle with that love a little bit. So what do they do? In our culture, they move in together. And as a way to kind of celebrate their newfound relationship, they don't go out to eat. They decide to go out and get in debt with two cars, two car payments. And it's very easy, isn't it, to get caught up in the moment. I mean, you just kind of get sucked in, and it's easy to say, you know what, we're not content with where we're at. we got to have something more, and we want it right now. There's a scripture that's going to come on the side screen, so I'd like us to go ahead and read it uh, together. And uh, we'll read it out loud. Here it comes on three. One, two, three. Beware, don't always be wishing for what you don't have, for real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. Don't always be wishing for what you don't have. Has anybody here, just by a sign of hands, ever had an impulse spending issue before? Good. I'm not alone, all right? Some of you are looking at each other, if you're married right now, and like, you should lift your hands up. (laughs) Lift your hands up. You are lying in church. Lift them up. I mean, you just had to have it, right? And then you got it. And you still have it. And you might still be paying for it. But you don't like it anymore. Or maybe you don't even own it anymore. I mean, there are people, they don't even own things that they're still paying for. I mean, it happens all the time. A young couple goes to say, we're gonna go buy a used car. They've uh, collected about four or five thousand dollars. And they said, that's our limit. That's all we're going to do. But if you've ever gone to the used uh, car lot before, and if there's a dealership, they have two lots. They have for the losers, and then they have for the winners, right? And so this young couple comes up, and they're like, well, let's just, it wouldn't hurt, would it, if we just went into the showroom? Because that's where the losers are, actually. And so they walk in, and they see this black SUV sitting in the middle of the showroom. The lights are down. and the I mean, the lights are on it. The music is playing. And all of a sudden, it's almost like heaven is going, ah, buy me. And so they walk in, and one looks at the other and goes, honey, that's our car. And he's like, I know. That is, isn't it? And so they go and they go, now, you know, we were only going to do this, but we could do maybe a little more. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, you guys can't really afford this one. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, i got a deal for you. Every time a used car salesman says they have a deal for you, they have a deal for you. It may not be the deal that you want, but they do have a deal for you. And then he goes back, he says, i got to go crunch the numbers. You know what they start crunching? Sucker, 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 sucker. And they crunch all the numbers, and then they come out with this really good news. They say, you qualify. You don't qualify just for that. You qualify for a lot more. In fact, did you realize that most of you, if you get in there, they're going to tell you that you qualify for two to three times more than what you actually can afford. So this couple goes Well, if we qualify it, let's do it. And so they qualify, and they say, we can make the payment, we qualify. And so the couple gets in their SUV, they're driving down, they're looking at each other in love. Because they've just found exactly the thing that will take their relationship to the next level. Two months later, though, they're bored, they're broke, and they still have a payment book that looks like the Bible. I mean, some of you spend more time looking at your payment books than you do the Bible because it's that big. It really is. And they've learned at a very early stage in their relationship what it looks like to be upside down. You know, folks, just because you can qualify for larger amounts of debt doesn't mean that you have to sign up for it. Does that need repeating? Just a general kind of wisdom test here. Let me see if you can get it. When it comes to cars, is it better to have a big car payment or a small car payment? It's not a trick question. But some of you have been tricked and you've fallen into it. Folks, resist impulse buying because... If you can't afford it when you walk in, you definitely are not going to be able to afford it when you walk out. Solomon, the richest guy in the world, who is considered the wisest man, said this. He said, a thick bankroll is no help when life falls apart, but a principled life can stand up to the worst. Folks, refrain from instant gratification. It will save you time, and it will save you a lot of money. Okay, let's go look at the rest of our story here. In that second kind of section, bolded section, it says, Then came the announcement. Jill was pregnant. They were ecstatic. And that's the word I want you to underline right there, the word ecstatic. And they planned for the arrival of their baby. The problem is they did not plan for additional expenses. And that's the phrase I want you to underline. They did not plan for additional expenses that a child would take. Diapers, formula, clothes, and so on. The first year was tight, but both Jack and Jill were working, and they made it. After the baby turned one year old, they got married. Again, they did not plan for the marriage, and they had to borrow money from Jack's mom to buy Jill's wedding ring and to rent the facility where they would be married. During this time, they worked to keep their heads above water financially. Difficult choices were made, including, and underline this next phrase, no vacations and rarely eating out. Okay, so let's give that to them. They made a couple of choices there. Jill's mom was the child care provider... As Jack and Jill worked. However, Jill's mom received a job offer out of state and she moved. When this transpired, the unexpected expenses of childcare became all too real. And then underline this last sentence the financial pressure began to affect their marriage. The financial pressure began to affect their marriage. Now, let's give them some credit because they're trying to keep their heads above water. No vacations. They seldom ate out at fancy restaurants. And we're like, good for them, good job. Way to take some choices there. But one night, they dined at home, and apparently they enjoyed a little bit too much dessert. And pretty soon, Jill... Gets pregnant. And she's ecstatic. And after being so ecstatic together, the ecstasy turns into turmoil. And we used this word last week. They have one of these ugh moments. Like, ugh. What are we going to do now? How are we going to make this work? What are we going to do with this little ecstasy? Can we afford... This little ecstasy. Look at what Jesus' words are in Luke 14. He says this. For who would begin construction? Just a general kind of principle. Who would begin construction of building without first getting estimates and then checking to see if there is enough money to pay the bills? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of funds. And then how everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and ran out of money before it was finished. Now this is kind of the famous count your cost kind of uh, you know, scripture. Count the cost before the fact. Um, just some general wisdom here. Any of you know what it costs right now for a person to raise a child from infant to age 22? Look at your neighbor. Give them your guess, okay? What does it cost, uh, infant to age 22? Okay. Okay. I looked at it three different ways this week so that I was correct when I gave you this number. It costs $300,000, and uh, if you send them to college, it's actually going to cost a whole heck of a lot more, and Jack and Jill, they made a pricey little decision, see, when they had dessert one night, and uh, it was very pricey. And in all all seriousness, though, think of the decisions that you have to make when it comes to having children. Do you have children or don't you have children? When do you have them? How many do you have? What are the costs to that? How are those costs going to be absorbed? Friends, this is tough stuff and you need wisdom for it. This is stuff that needs prayer. Prayer. That needs some counsel from friends and family, from your small group, from uh, people who are there. That's why small groups are so important, so that when you're going through life stuff, you don't go through it alone, so you get plugged in. True story. Jennifer and I spent six months in counseling, one one time a month, before we had kids. I mean, Jen already had one problem child. Me! And now she was going to take on one, potentially two more. But seriously, we went to a counselor. We paid money because we knew we would be paying a lot of money if we had dessert one night. And so uh, we talked to people. We talked to a counselor. We talked to some other good parents that we looked up to. We talked to our own parents. We talked to friends. We talked to people in the church. And we prayed a lot. And folks, it's a big deal to have children. It really is. Now, our two kids, uh, Jordan and Shiloh, um, bring some of the greatest amount of joy that my wife Jennifer and I have ever known. And they do it at a very high expense. I mean, it is not cheap. We have to figure out how we're going to finance them. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking about the, the young couple that I told you about buying the SUV. Like, if we chose not to have kids, we could buy a fleet of SUVs, you know? $300,000 times two kids, holy cow, you know? But uh, we don't always think before. But you have to ask questions uh, like this. Are we both, and the, these are some of the questions Jen and I ask, are we both going to uh, continue to work? Is somebody going to stay at home? Uh, how's child care going to work? I mean, all of these things aren't very complicated in the ecstasy moment, but it gets real complicated when reality hits, especially when you're a couple who has no margin, which we talked about, no margin in your life. Okay, now the, the story kind of digresses, digresses, and uh, Jill's mom moves away, and there's this unexpected expense that hits. And pretty soon, Jack and Jill now, they're not just arguing with each other, but they have this little kid. And uh, the arguments often go like this. The the wife wants to go to Babies are Us. Babies R will take your money and buy clothes. The husband, a lot of times, is like, let's go to a garage sale. And she's like, my kid's not going to be in no garage sale stuff. They're like, no, it'll be okay. And sometimes, you know, one person's like, I want them in designer clothes. I'll never forget when we saw some of our friends buy Jordan tennis shoes for their kid. It was like $75. You know how long that kid wore Jordans? Two months. No sense whatsoever. Who cares about Jordans, you know? And uh, there can be this difference in opinion. I mean, sometimes guys are like, I'll we'll just get some handy downs from my sister. We'll put them on. You're not wearing that. And I'll bet you that there wasn't much dessert that was going on after discussions like that. I mean, fights, folks, over finances are way up there, extremely high, as one of the leading causes for marital uh, breakdown and divorce. Jack and Jill, they're fighting about finances, and they're just starting out. They're not even that far along in their relationship. They're just starting out. Okay, let's go on with the uh, rest of the story on the back there at the top. Not wanting to pay rent, and that's what I want you to underline there, not wanting to pay rent, they decided to buy a house. So you can underline that. They were given a loan with no problem, but then Jack was laid off, and just before the first house payment was due, they had no emergency fund, so Jack started doing side jobs to pay for the mortgage. Even though they had started going to church and gave their lives to Christ, and this is the next phrase that you can underline, they had nothing for giving or saving for the future. You can underline that. They had nothing for giving or saving for the future they began to pay for daily expenses with credit cards. How many of you can think back to the first house or the first apartment that you ever lived in? Single, married, it doesn't matter. Okay. Now, Jen and I, uh, we, our first apartment after we were married was in Flora, Indiana. And in Flora, Indiana, there was a woman there by the name of Mrs. Rumler. She was really mean, and she was our landlord. And uh, above her house, on the second story, the whole town knew. It was called the attic, and that was the place that Jennifer and I stayed, in the attic. Now, the steps that led up to the attic were 45-degree angle. So when winter came, you, just, you couldn't walk down. You just slid down. You just went like that, straight down. you like... Come on, honey, I'm waiting for you, you know, and they just shoot down. True story, no joke. There was only one door in the entire apartment, and everything was open concept. The front room had a huge stain on the carpet right in the middle where the previous tenant had taken his transmission out and had put it on the carpet. And she told us, it's been cleaned. I was like, I don't think so. (laughs) The bedroom had this gas furnace right in the middle of the room. Like it wasn't off to the side. It's in the middle of the bedroom. It's only a one-bedroom apartment. It's right there in the middle. And the pipe's going up into the ceiling, and it would snap, crackle, and pop all night long. The kitchen had grease all over it when we moved in. We took out SOS pads, and we were scrubbing it all down... Didn't even touch it at all. And then connected uh, to the kitchen was the bathroom. Because the bathroom was literally only big enough where only one person could be in there. You walked in the door and you had a sink here, you had a toilet behind you, and you had a tub right there. No shower, no doors. I mean, this is my first year of marriage. I didn't mind the no doors part, you know, but. Everything else, I mean, was cramped. It was tough. And that whole first year of marriage, we had one word, UGG, Ugh. Now, Jack and Jill are no longer just a family of two, but now they're a family of three. And so they decide to go out and to get some more debt to get locked into a 30-year mortgage. And it leads them down a road of regret. First of all, they decide to rent. I'm not sure how long they discussed to rent or not to rent. I don't know how that discussion was. But I hear young couples all the time that will tell me that, you know, renting is like taking your money and flushing it down the drain. But I just want you to know that sometimes buying a house is just getting a greater amount of money and flushing a greater amount down a bigger drain. A second thing happens With the size of their monthly mortgage, and now with the cost of their baby, they lack margin to do two things that wage earners who are wise do, and that is to give and to save for the future. It's in their story. It says even though they had started going to church and they connected with Christ, they had nothing for giving or saving for the future. Now let me stress this one more time as I have throughout this entire series. Giving matters. Giving really matters. Giving, as a Christ follower, has a huge benefit to you. And people don't often take this very seriously. I mean, the mere fact that you're parting with something that the world worships, and that's money, that you part with it, on a regular basis, you show your love to God, and you say, God, out of everything that you've given to me, I want to honor you back with a percentage of my wealth. And when you do that, folks, it grows you in amazing ways. The actual writing of a check is so important because it's an act of worship and trust. You see, often what people get confused with is that they think that worship is the songs at the beginning or the teaching at the end, but that middle section where we talk about community and where we also give financially is an essential part of worship. It reinforces your faith. It says, you know what, I am trying to surrender my life to Jesus the best way I know how. And I'm not just going to talk the talk, but I'm actually going to walk the walk, and there's a lot of people not walking in our culture. I'm following God's instruction for what I'm supposed to do with my resources, regardless of what everyone else says. You know, in my early 20s, I talked about this a little bit last week, Jen and I couldn't tithe our first year of marriage, in fact, the first five years, but we set a percentage and then we increased it each year. And I remember that we just said, we're going to honor God with our money. And I can remember talking with some of my friends who were accountants and uh, who were uh, in the business world, teachers, and they saw the meager income that we made, which was about $225 a week that we had because Jen was in school. And I remember sometimes I would just kind of feel dumb. I would just kind of be like, maybe they're right. Why am I doing this? Because, you know, they were buying new cars, and they weren't renting in attics like we were. They were buying their first homes, and Jennifer and I were driving these old clunkers, and we were living in a rented attic. And during that time, I just remember going, God, I just don't think this is very fair. I'm trying to serve you as a pastor, but nothing's happening. And I'll never forget an old hymn, that uh, we used to sing in church. And it says, Though none go with me, I will still follow God. I'll tell you what, my spirit, folks, when it comes to money sometimes, can be so messed up. And I have to constantly remind myself of that whole old, old hymn, that though none go with me, God, I'm going to follow you. And I've just had to say, you know what? Maybe you are smarter than me. Maybe you are. You know, you got more stuff, and you got bigger stuff, and you got all kinds of stuff, and that's fine. You can have your stuff. And maybe I'm naive to think this, folks, but I just believe that the essence of who I am as a person is that when I give back to God for all that He's given to me, He is going to bless my life. Though none go with me, So none of my friends would go with me. I said, God, I'm going to follow you. I've never cried in a money talk before, so uh, you're experiencing a first. And every time I'd look at our church and i think, God, you know, if every single person, if every single family would just come and they would dig down deep and they'd say, God, I'm going to do it your way. I know it doesn't make sense. I may not even be able to do all of it right now. But I'm going to do it your way. And I'm going to take that path that I just believe strongly that God's going to form and do something so great, so huge, that our eyes cannot see and our minds can't even imagine. I don't even know if you know this or not, folks, but God actually gives a promise to us when we give our finances back to Him. And I don't mean name it and claim it. You know, you get those... Guys on television, I'll tell you right now, you can get your miracle. Send me $200. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that it's in his word that if we honor him, he'll honor us. Look at what it says in Malachi 3. It's a promise. God says this. I will open up the windows of heaven for you. He says, I'll do it. I will open the windows of heaven up for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room enough to give it. And he says, when you tithe, when you give, I'm going to bless your life. And then I love what it says in 2 Corinthians nine six. It says this, whoever sows sparingly. In other words, if you're cheap with God, if you're trying to cut corners, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows what? What's the word? Generously will also reap, what's the word? Generously. It's the law of the kingdom. There are dozens and dozens of scriptures that I could turn you to that talk about this whole concept that God gives a promise when we're faithful to Him, what He's given to us with our money. And I won't bore you today, but Jennifer and I could tell you dozens and dozens and dozens of stories in our marriage of only 17 years in which we have chosen to do The thing that honors God with our money. And He has showed up in supernatural ways. And I would you know, stand and I could share some of these stories. And some of you would be like, that's like the Twilight Zone. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And I would be like, I know. You'd be like, no way. And I'd say, "I, I know that's what I thought. When all of a sudden I looked at the bottom line, I was like, no way. And it just had to be a gift from God. Folks, I've not been perfect with uh, how I've used the resources that God has given me. But I have attempted to the best that I know how to honor him. That even though none go with me, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do it your way. Many people make other choices.
1: But I have not
0: hesitated and I will not hesitate now to say to you guys... That giving matters. You honor God when you give. Get a plan. If you can't tithe right now, 10%, start somewhere. But begin the process of doing that. And every time that you write a check, I was talking with Chuck earlier today. And he was talking about, you know, he knew this was the financial series, uh, the guy who led worship this morning. And uh, he's getting ready to write a check. And he's like, man, it's been so slow. And he was kind of disgruntled. And he's like, God, but I want to honor you. And so he, he made it the first check of his week. And don't make it be the last check. Make it be the first check of the week. Now, some of you have asked me um, about automatic withdrawal and what that looks like. Because some of you are uh, all about computers and you do your giving online. And uh, in your program today, it is like that, uh, there is a a form there that you could automatically withdraw. You could just uh, say, hey, I'll take this out of my checking account. I'm going to be committed to doing this on a regular basis. And you could fill it out and you could just do that right here. And it's right here. You turn it in. You mail it in and it's taken care of. And to be honest, I never was like into that because I thought, ah, you know, we're really not trying to push money so much. But then a friend of mine uh, who's in our small group, he said, I just want you to know, the next time you do a money series, I want you to do the automatic withdrawal. And I was like, I don't know. He said, no. He said, the thing that I found is that once that was there, it challenged me to say, I'm going to give to you God regularly. And even when I'm not there, I'm going to give. Because you deserve whatever that is and whatever you decide. That's what you commit to he said, it's been such a huge blessing for our life. He said, my wife and I used to always go like, who got the checkbook? Oh, you forgot it. I got it. He's like, now all of a sudden, every single week, I'm honoring God. He said, I don't want to cheat God on the days that I'm not here. It really is true. When you give, God promises. He says, I will open up. It's the only place where he says, test me. In the entire Bible. And it's interesting that he talks about money. He says, test me with your money, and I will open up the heavens. Okay, last part of the story. It says, eventually, Jack and Jill had a second child. And a couple of months after the birth, Jack got a new job that paid him 50% more than his previous income. Everything was going great, but then... Life threw the family some curveballs. Jack and Jill found that the day before the baby was born, that Jill's insurance was canceled. The hospital bills piled up, and health problems struck this youngest child. The house and the two cars began to have some issues, and they had to pay out every penny to have them repaired. They took out a substantial loan to pay off the hospital debt, and because of the sickness of their child, Jill stayed at home. Before long, Jack became unhappy about his wife not working. They had maxed out all of their credit cards and Jack began to take more side jobs. Jack came home each night exhausted. Jill became depressed and stopped keeping the house up. They barely spoke to each other unless it was a fight over money. The growing financial stress pushed Jack to his limit until one day he walked out and went to his mother's house for a few days to sort things out. Jill spent the saddest weekend of her life in their home. Friends, these curveballs hit all of us. It doesn't matter if you're going to church and you're giving or whatever. These curveballs hit every single one of our lives. There's storms. There's trials. There's broken Shingles on the house. There's cracked walls. There's transmissions that go out. There's medical problems that hit your family. In fact, Jesus actually said, these things are not you know, possibly going to happen. They're going to happen. In John 16:33, He says this. In this world, you will have, what's it say? Trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Folks, you are not insulated from the trouble just because you follow Christ. You'll get your share of it just the way that the person who doesn't. But the difference really is that that will happen in this broken world until the day that we reach heaven. Friends, wise people know that trouble is just lurking around the corner. They don't know when it's going to hit, but no one gets out of this life without some circumstances hitting your life that you didn't expect. Every person I've ever known goes through this. There's a guy uh, in uh, our small group, or who was in our small group. He was an IT specialist at a bank. And all of a sudden, he lost his job. He's been unemployed for a year, and he's had to cash in part of his 401K. He's putting in resumes all over the place, and this guy's world has been rocked. A friend of ours recently went to have a physical, just kind of a routine checkup, found out that she had some major medical issues, and now all of a sudden her whole life has changed and she's going to be on disability. There's a couple in the church who had a child with some serious medical conditions. They thought it was going to get over, but it didn't, and now they're going to have those medical conditions for the entire life of this child. Everything looked good, and then all of a sudden it turned out to be not so good. And folks, I'm just saying that there are financial minefields that are all around us. There are seductions. There are uh, economic surprises. There's medical nightmares that hit our families. And they will show up at our doorsteps. Just plan on it. But how much better it is to be on God's program that when that trouble actually arrives, Because the reality is, every single person in this place right now, you're either in a financial storm, you're going to be going into a financial storm, or you're coming out of a financial storm. That's just the way that it works. And so when trouble hits, if you're managing your money God's way, it doesn't mean that it's not going to hurt, because it will. But it means that you'll be turned in, that you'll have some strength of faith, that you'll have some margin in your life, And most of all, that you'll have God's divine promise to help you supernaturally when that hits, when you honor him. You'll have some margin. You'll have some savings. You'll have some emergency fund. And this really is what my wish is for everyone who's in this gym today, that we would have some margin. Now, the story of Jack and Jill is actually a real story of a couple people here in the jar. And they've been so gracious enough to let us write their story down and then actually uh, be able to uh, share with us what happened after the big blow up over their finances. So if you would, I'd like you to uh, join me in uh, welcoming uh, Shane and Scotty Brooks uh, to the stage. You'll never know how hard it is to get people to come up and talk about money. Uh, So Shane and Scotty, thanks for uh, being willing to do that. Well, hey guys, let's just uh, jump in. Thanks for sharing your story. A lot of transparency, and we're grateful for that. But um, uh, Scotty, could you kind of open up a little bit and tell us, I mean, you guys have this big blow up, and Shane kind of walks out, and tell me kind of what happened after that. I guess you're still together, so that's good, yeah.
1: Well, um, we realized that 90% of our um, problems and stuff were financial, even when it didn't seem like it was. It always went back to um, financial issues. So um, we basically agreed to start praying about it, and um, we sought counsel through friends, really close friends, and the church. Um, We also went professionally and sought counsel and um, went to Celebrate Recovery to work on us. Okay.
0: So the blow-up comes, and you guys get back together, you start praying, uh, you work on it a little bit, you work on your relationship, but all the financial issues were still there, right? They didn't just, like, puff the magic dragon, woo. you know, it's all gone. All those troubles are still there. So uh, what do you guys do financially, Shane?
2: Well, um We had a really good friend come to us and uh, give us a book of the uh, Financial Peace University with uh, Dave Ramsey. And uh, after years of just living paycheck to paycheck like a lot of us, I think, do, um, we committed ourselves to getting out of debt. And it's not an easy thing, but we committed to it. And we sat down and we made our first real budget together. And um, we committed to tithe every week. And again, like you said, we we made it a priority to tithe first, and that's not an easy thing to do. I'm a rational guy. I like to see my bills laid out and paid, and I made a priority first to pay God, and then after that, I would would make it a priority to pay my bills. And uh, in five weeks, we saved our first uh, real emergency fund, and we committed that emergency fund to emergencies and emergencies only. And... (laughs) I had heard Chris talk year after year about the ten, ten, eighty plan and I sat right there and in different places and said the same thing every year. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nobody's gonna do that. I can't afford to do that. I can't pay my bills as it is hardly. But uh, you know, over over this period of time with the plan that we've we've put uh forward it, it's possible and with God's help it, it can happen.
0: Okay. So uh So sometimes it just takes multiple times for me to speak before it actually. (laughs) Same way with God, I think. Um, Well, while we're, so you kind of get this plan together, but you're going to have to make some cuts. And uh, I know you guys, when we were talking yesterday, you said it it wasn't as drastic as we thought. But uh, we did do some cuts. So can you talk about that a little bit, Scotty?
1: Well, first we um, got into couponing, so that really helped with um, you know the grocery expenses and stuff like that. Um, we also started taking our lunches to work instead of eating out. Um, but one of the biggest things that really hit us was we realized that we were literally throwing away about $2,400 a year on tobacco. Um, I smoked and Shane chewed, and so that was one of the the first things that we did to really get the ball um, started and and rolling that we, you know, we decided we were going to quit tobacco use, Um, and we've done that through God, and it's been nine months now, so um, thank you. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, we realized that we had to tell our money where to go instead of wondering where it went.
0: Did you get that? That that was real powerful. Actually, God may have said that and not Scotty right there. Wondering where it went rather than actually knowing where it goes. $2,400. Man, can you imagine a vacation for $2,400? Wow. That would be good. Okay. Um, So uh, you start this financial plan, Shane, and then you notice God starts intervening uh, in some ways. Can you, uh, talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, uh, by being obedient to God, we, the first thing we did was after, after the others, we cut up our credit cards and, uh, we haven't used credit cards since. We pay cash for everything. Um, we've been able to make much needed purchases, uh, with, uh, our vehicles. We've had some auto repairs. We've had those minefields come up that, that you have to pay for. And we've been able to do that with cash, um, We've paid off about $4,000 in, in debt and God blessed us with Scotty's job uh, that she's very passionate about and it's been a, a perfect fit for us because she's able to take the, the, the children to uh, school and, and, and pick them up from school. We don't have childcare expenses. Um, and you know it makes her feel whole. She has a job that, that she enjoys and, and that she looks forward to going to every day. And um, I've just, I found that when you do honor God first and, and you give him uh, your money first, he's He's going to return the favor. And uh, I've been the victim of not doing that many, many times, and I've, I've learned the hard way many, many times. So,
0: Yeah. We were talking yesterday, and Shane was talking about he bought new uh, tires for his car. He's like, man, usually I'd have to put that on a credit card or something. He's like, I looked out at that car one day, and I was like, those are my tires. You know what I mean? Like, those are my tires. No, nobody else owns those tires. I own those tires. So I oh, thought that was a cool story. Well, Scotty, I know you, uh, you recently had some health problems. Uh, that came. You were in the hospital for a week. And uh, when that hit, how did that kind of affect you guys financially?
1: Actually, surprisingly enough, it really didn't. Um, you know, we had our savings account, and we also had the emergency fund. Um, Normally, what happens with that is um, Shane, he doesn't get any kind of vacation or sick time or anything. Um, So if it was a year ago, you know, we would have... um, we would have had to dealt with me being in the hospital by myself or going into bankruptcy if he decided to take that time off. You know, we also have an amazing small group um, that also pitched in and helped with some blessings, too. So, you know, it was, it was awesome to be able to see all that transpire.
0: Yeah. That's another reason why to get in a small group, because people give you money. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Anything I can do to get people into small groups, I'll do that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so, I mean, if that emergency fund wasn't there, and Shane has a job like many of you, if you don't work, you don't get paid. And uh, because you had that emergency fund, you were able to be there with your wife uh, during that, and it really didn't take you off course. Well, um, just kind of a last word, kind of encouragement, Shane, uh, that you might give to folks. Uh, There are probably many people that are maybe at a place uh, where you were at, and uh, what would you say to them?
2: Well, first of all, I'd say hang in there, and we've definitely been there. Um, I would say that uh, you have a choice. You have a choice today that you can, you can change your, your spending habits. Um, my biggest regret with all of this is that I, I didn't do it two or three years ago. Um, and I know uh, tomorrow night, 7 p.m., there's a financial freedom small group, and I'm sure you can probably sign up for it there and back. And uh, I recommend any of you to do that, that that's ready to, to take that step forward. And one other thing I do want to say too, with what we've learned with this uh, is allowances. A lot of people give their children allowance, and we, we really didn't have the money to do that. unfortunately, my kids know that. But uh, one of the things that, one of the things that that we've learned um, with the Dave Ramsey program is to train your kids early um they don't get an allowance anymore they get uh basically a commission if they if they do their chores they do their work in their in the house then they get paid if they don't they don't um i don't get paid when i don't go to work so um i'm trying to change my family tree and i'm trying you know i wasn't born with this knowledge and i was been i've been blessed by god to have that so i want to i want to start my kids young so um they don't make the same mistakes that i did
0: right right now, this is the big question everybody want to know. Did you ever pay your mom back for her ring? I mean. Actually, I don't remember if I did. Yeah, yeah. No, hey, let's give uh, Shane and Scotty a hand uh, for Shane the Rickards. Uh, well, as we close, I'd like you to pull out your teaching outline just one last time. Uh, and on the back side of it, there's a, uh, there's a little bit of space and room down at the very bottom. I think you see it there. Um, and up on the side screens uh, are going to come uh, different choices, uh, different commitments, different decisions uh, that you could make. And um, kind of like Shane said, so, well, you know, I've heard this stuff for years, and I just never, and finally, the rubber met the road, and I made a commitment to do certain things. And so, uh, what I'd like you to do is uh, to look, uh, there'll be six of them, they'll, they'll kind of go back and forth, but the first one uh, is, you know, that I would cut up my credit cards, and so that might be, I want you to pray. This is between you and God. A second one is to develop a budget and stick to it. And then the last one is to tithe or, or work towards a tithe. And um, then here's save for an emergency fund and then stay on course. And uh, we may t- what we'll try to do is we'll see if we can put them all up on the same so you can um, choose those if they flip back and forth. Um, But which of those choices is something that you could do? Obviously, you can't do all of them, but maybe there's one of those that God would want to speak into your life right now um, that you would take. And so if you flip it back again, guys, uh, and uh, we can just look at those, um, and you can pick uh, one of them. And uh, one of the things I've realized in my life, if I don't write things down, typically they don't happen. (laughs) So um, in that corner, don't look at the person beside you. But if there's one of those that speaks to you, that if you could you know, write that down and just put it there. And this is just between you and God. So take a moment, think about which one that is, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. So you're going to attend a class, cut up a credit card, develop a budget, tithe or work towards a tithe, save for an emergency fund. Maybe you're doing really well right now and you can just stay on course. You're just like, you know what, I'm doing the just write it down just, just one of those I thought about how we would uh, kind of close this today it's kind of the end of our financial series and thank you guys for staying plugged in for the last three three weeks and I was just praying I was like God you know I I want us to not just let this fall away but for us to make some changes in our families that our families would be healthier um, our lives would be healthier our our church would be healthier in the midst of that and um, and so what I kind of thought was that uh, with whatever you wrote down if you could just like put it in front of you maybe on your lap or something like that a way of uh, giving that to God I'm just going to lift uh, up a prayer and uh, we'll be done so whatever that thing is and for some of you, uh, you know, if you want to fold it up so no one else sees that's fine too uh, but just close your eyes for a second offer this to God if you're willing to do so and, and let's just uh, you can pray this prayer silently to yourself but it's between you and God no one else God as I uh, hold this commitment in my hand right now I'm trusting your wisdom for my future and how I use my money I'm going to go your way going to follow your path I'm going to anticipate that as I do this God that you're going to bless my life I know it won't be easy I know it might take some work but I'm depending upon you to bless my life I need your help God so God right now as we're holding out our financial decision to you God, give us the strength to fulfill it. To manage our money your way. God, thank you for always having the best intentions for our life. Thanks for sharing wisdom with us. We anticipate your blessing as we do the hard work so that your name would be made great in our lives, in our families, and in your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. We have baptisms today, so if you want to go down the pool, there'll be five people getting baptized, and uh, people will be up here to pray with you.